Storehouse Dallas. I'm going to be preaching the first in a series on the fear of the Lord. And, um, and so I want to start by just saying to you, when I talk about the fear of the Lord, I'm not talking about, hey, I'm afraid and therefore I don't engage. It's, I'm talking about uh, a reverence, a holy reverence and knowing God as God is and not as we perceive him to be. Um, and, and so in our house, and most of you know this who have been here for a while, my middle name is actually Fun. And so I love to have fun. I love to celebrate. I love to dance. I'm the one up here in the front chasing hard. Yes, I am older than a lot of you. And, um, but I don't care, man. It's like I feel like sometimes like my spirit is going to jump out of my body. You know, it's like I can't get high enough or close enough to the Lord. And he's so magnificent in every way. And, and so I want to really talk about that this morning and seeing God rightly. So as I start the series on the fear of the Lord, I want to begin with this. I want to first look at the glory of God. And I want to first look at his majesty, his sovereignty, his omnipotence, and who he truly is. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 25, verse 8. I love the word of God. <clears throat> the word of God is my jam. It's where I come alive. It reveals who God is. Right? It reveals who God is. But I want to say something about the word. It reveals who God is, but it doesn't contain all of who God is, right? Because he's still writing letters. He's still writing love letters to me, to you. When you were born, there was a love letter that was written in your DNA. He wrote his name on you, and he said, you're mine. I love you. And he creatively and uniquely, divinely sculpted you like a master potter. And he said, I'm going to give you these gifts. I'm going to give you this hair. I'm going to give you this ability, athletic, whatever. You know where I'm going. So uniquely and wonderfully made you have been by the Lord. So in Psalm 25, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All of the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So I've seen throughout the word that the fear of the Lord is truly the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of knowledge. And so having the fear of the Lord. And it was one of the things that's promised over this house. 
And the Lord told us years ago, Matthew had a vision. He had an encounter with the Lord. And he said, I am going to give you humility and fear of the Lord. And through that, I'm going to release my glory. And then we are planning on teaching on the fear of the Lord because we've been teaching on, you know, the kingdom and how the kingdom is a higher way than the way of the earth. And we live in the earth where we're to be of the kingdom and bring the kingdom ways to the earth. Are you with me? So you have two things that are operating at the same time. Heaven is going on. The earth is going on, right? And so... Um, as we are looking at his ways versus our ways, and we kept talking about that over the last five, six weeks, we were talking about the ways of the kingdom, the ways of the earth, the ways of heaven, God's ways, his will versus our ways and our will. And there is a direct correlation between the fear of the Lord and, 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 and obeying God's ways. In Psalm 89, verse 6 and 7, the word says, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is great to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence of all them that are about him. And so, so over and over and over and over, we will see revival, we will see a harvest, we will see an outpouring of fire, and he will attribute that, that outpouring and the multiplication in the church to fear came on the saints. Fear came on the saints. All of a sudden, and I believe that the fear of the Lord acts as a plumb line that all of a sudden we begin to see rightly. And what's interesting and very sad is when Jesus came, you, so here you've got the Son of God. He comes. He's, he's all throughout the Word. And the Pharisees spent all of their days, I mean, they began to train the Pharisees as children to study the Word. Why? Because they were looking for their Savior so that they would know him when he came. They studied the law. They lived the law. They lived a very disciplined life. And so here you have his chosen people. And Jesus shows up. The word, the living word himself shows up and he walks among them. God in the flesh. The word made flesh comes and walks among them. And they didn't know him. That is almost like the most tragic story of all of history. That the very thing that they waited for, they didn't realize it when he came. And what's even more interesting is that he offended them with who he was. Why? Because he said, I am higher. I am the word of God. I have come to bring you a new way. I have come to introduce you to a new way, and it is the way of the kingdom. And in that, I'm going to show you there's a higher way in me 
than the way that you've been living. I've come to introduce a new law, and that's the law of the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit will supersede the law of sin and death. And so he began to do things that made them mad because he was breaking the law. Am I right? Here he is with his disciples, and they're walking through the field of grain, and they're on the Sabbath, and they're picking up the wheat off the grain, and the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? You can't do that on the Sabbath. Right? And then he's with his uh, disciples, and they begin to do all of these other things that, that offend them because they're like, wait, wait, wait. You can't heal someone on the Sabbath. And again, he turns to them and he's like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I think I'll do whatever I want. And so he was saying to them, the one who has come to you is God in the flesh, and I am now about to, and when he, you know, and then he preached the gospel, and he's like, now when I die, I'm going to come live inside of you, and guess what? I'm going to rule, and I'm going to reign through you, and my law will supersede the laws of the earth, and the only way for you to access this is not only through having a culture of prayer, which we've talked about, but the fear of the Lord. So hopefully, over the next five weeks, we'll go there. But Isaiah talked about this. And he said this about this situation and condition between the Pharisees and Jesus. Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, their fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men. See, what they did is they reduced the glory of God to something that they could be familiar with. Something that they could digest. And so they began to paint God in a way that was familiar. This is what I know. I know this. I, 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 and, and so they, they lost the glory the sovereignty, the majesty, the omnipotence of God because they're looking at God this way and they're caught up in the laws. The laws, the laws. And they had sown themselves into a law which was now going to be, not replaced, but fulfilled by the one and the only one who could legally replace that law with a law of freedom in the spirit. So what does that mean? The law of the spirit. Life and peace. Why? Because Oh, man, the spirit goes here and the spirit goes there. And you got to follow it. But what happens is that those with the fear of the Lord will say, I'm going where you go and I don't care what the cost is. Amen? All right. When Moses set Israel free, I love this. When Moses set Israel free, you've got all of these miracles. I mean, we're talking oceans parting. Okay, it was a sea, but it sounds really good if you say oceans. Um, seas are parting, right? They get set free out of the grip of Israel that is the strongest nation in the earth at the time. 
You got a, you got a, you got a, um, 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 not a Pharisee, you've got a um, Pharaoh who's in a bad mood pretty much a lot. You know, so you got to go unhinge them from his grip because he's looking at the finances associated with having an entire people group that are in bondage to be his slaves and to build all of his, his kingdom for him. Who's going to build my idols? Who's going to build my statues if I let these people go? How will Israel will be, or not Israel, but Egypt will be weakened, Right? So they see all of these miracles. They get out there. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. Well, what happens? So Moses is like, all right, listen, I'm going to give you guys, you guys stay here because I'm going to go up the mountain. I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to see what God wants us to do. This is how we should live, okay? I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go see what the Father wants. What did Jesus do? Hold on. Everybody stay there. I realize I just fed 5,000 people. I'm going to go up the mountain. No, what did he not do? I'm going to sit here and, and, and receive accolades from you, and you can tell me how great I am. No, he's like, I'm going to disappear, and I'm going to go up the mountain. I'm going to be with my dad. Because I've got to get instructions for the next part of the journey. I've got to hear from heaven and see what he has to say. So Moses goes, and he's, and he's gone for like, you know, 40 days. And of course, what do the stiff-necked Israelis do? <laughs> They're like, oh, he's not coming back. He probably got eaten. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They began to go all throughout their minds. 40 days, six weeks, people. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but it takes me I mean, I, how old was Moses? He had to have been like in his 80s by then. It takes a little while to climb a mountain, right? So he's gone for a while. And so what do they do? They go to Aaron and they say to him, now they've just seen the God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, move heaven and earth on their behalf. It's not like it happened like 20, 30 years ago. I mean, they're standing in the product of, of God's blessing and miracles, right? So they go, hey, so Aaron, I think what we need to do is we need to make a golden calf. We need to make an idol. We need to make a God that we can worship. So what were they saying? We need to make a God that we're familiar with, that we can relate to. Because that's what we knew in Egypt. And so we, we're living in Egypt. We're slaves. And so this is something that makes us feel good. And so we need you to help us do that. And so Aaron, not a good move. Um, he's like, okay, go get all your earrings, right? Go get all your jewelry. Let's go begin to, to melt all of that. Like, I'm like, where did that smelter come from? I don't know. How did they do all of this? I have no idea. So anyway, they get together and they start carving like within 40 days. All right. So he's only up there 40 days. So we know they've started moaning and groaning probably about week two going, mm -mm, he's not coming back. All right, so talk about stiff-necked. Oh, my goodness. But listen, we are not that different. We are not that different. Holy delay. What happens? Well, I better make a God in my own image because God's not going to show up, so I better take care of this myself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right? I know I'm talking to you. Lord, I just ask you for the sword of the Lord. And I hope you like me after I'm finished. So what they did is they took the image of the uncreated God and made it into that of creation. Uh, 
Again, we see God's glory reduced to the image of man when Paul says this in Romans 1.22. Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image like a corruptible man. And David said in Psalms, he said, you think I'm altogether like you. When we lower the image of God to make us comfortable, then we're worshiping something that has been created, not the uncreated one. But when we worship rightly and we see him high and lifted up and we begin to gaze at him, then and only then can we comprehend the beauty and the majesty and true worship will come out of our hearts. Today's cultural image of God actually breaks my heart. And I've, over my, we, we've been in the ministry for almost 20 years, but we've actually had storehouse for about 10. And um, I've heard it preached that God is a happy God. And God's always in a good mood. Um, God is good. His word says that he is good. But I have seen in this word how many times he gets angry or frustrated. And if we believe that he's always in a good mood, always, I want you to still like me after this, then the, that's not really the truth. And we've accepted something that is partially true, but not wholly true. He is a fearful God. Not to be feared like afraid of him. But he is unapproachable light. Yet we can boldly approach him because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the holiness that we have been made because of the blood of Jesus. But I believe in this hour that God is restoring back to the church a reverential fear of God. That we would see him rightly. And, and as we see him rightly, we would actually begin to become like him. He is good. And in his goodness, he loves us. But he also rebukes us. He disciplines us. And I'm telling you, I have been in a holy time out a lot of, in my life. And it is for my good, not for my harm. And I know when it happens because he's good to tell me. And then he, he gives me, the, the, and he's given all of us the ability to repent and turn from our ways. And he restores us back to the place that's in him so that we can continue running his way, his way. The word says, this is his description of himself. He said this, 
God himself said this to Moses, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the father upon the children. He is incomprehensible again, yet approachable. I've heard current day pastors that say that the reverence of God is religion. I've heard current day pastors say that the first miracle that Jesus preached when he turned water into wine was at a party. Let me just tell you, Jesus is not in a frat house. He is your brother, but he is not your fraternity brother. He is holy. And he's saying, and, and, and they're, they're like, well, Jesus is my friend. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, but in the scriptures, when I see Jesus say that he's someone's friend, they tremble at his word. And the beauty of the significance of the first miracle was that he did it at a wedding. To show us the, the bridegroom is saving the best wine for last. And I'm telling you, there will be a drunk church when he returns. But it will be by the power of the Holy Spirit and not us sitting at the bars doing shots. Because we have said, I reject the world and I run hard after the Holy One, the lover of my soul. And just as Julie was talking about the children's ministry, they are running. They are on fire. And if we give them the real thing, they will be satisfied and never chase after the things of the world. The God of today's culture doesn't receive the honor and the reverence he deserves. With their lips, they honor him. But their fear towards him is taught by the commandments of men. They have filtered God's word and commandments through their own culturally influenced thinking. Their image of his glory is formed by their limited perceptions of who he is not by the true image that is revealed through his living word, through his holy word. I love this book. And I remember a story that Mike Bickle told when he was traveling with John Wimber. He got really busy and he said, you know, I got to quit. And he said, but you're preaching to thousands. And he said, but you know, I don't cry anymore when I read the word. I'm not having encounters with the living God when I read the word. So what am I doing? You know, I need to have him in this way. My heart is wrecked because I see him. He's beyond compare. There's nothing. So when we come to this place, when we come in here, we should enter in going, this is the one, the one, the creator of heaven and earth, 
the one that formed me in my mother's womb, the one that has counted the hairs on my head, the one that knows me, my thoughts, my dreams, my hopes, my disappointments, and loves me right where I am. That's the one. I want to throw off everything that hinders that worship. And I want to gaze on him. And I want to give him my whole heart. The more comprehensive our awareness of God's goodness and majesty, the greater our capacity to fear and and revere him. And I'll finish with this. John Bevere said this, if you fear man, you will serve man. If you fear being wrong, you will serve self in preservation. Let that sink in. If you fear being wrong, you will serve self in preservation. If you fear loss, you will serve loss. If you fear God, you will serve God. You will serve what you fear. I believe that there is coming a great outpouring. I believe that we are on the very verge of the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen. I believe that the spirit of the fear of the Lord is about to be released into his church. And it's going to set us rightly in our place. And the army of God is going to come into perfect alignment and run in perfect formation because of it. So I'm so excited about these next four weeks that we can get a handle on this and we can see it and we can let it not just be like a word, but let it go deep within us. And ask the Lord, God, I I don't want to just hear this I actually want to receive this. I want to receive this into my heart. I want you to to be like a sword and let the word cut between soul and spirit. Because it's true, he is preparing a bride. He is preparing a company of people, the army of God. He is carving us out of the earth. The 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 potter's hand is beginning to form his bride. And she is going to be beautiful. We are going to be beautiful. And I want this to go down deep within us. And so, Father, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for the spirit of the fear of the Lord that you're releasing And Father, I pray, God, for these next four weeks that we would be, that that, that we wouldn't just hear the word, but the word would apprehend us. That we would be ones that got captured by the word and our hearts begun to come alive and we began to see you high, to give you high praises beyond our own understanding of who you are as that cool guy. 
Help us, God, in this hour, be a holy people chasing a holy God and, and, and walking in love and power in this hour. So let's stand. I want you to go ahead and I want you to raise your hands if this is something that you're asking the Lord for, for yourself. And it comes as a spirit. It says that Jesus, this was one of the seven spirits that Jesus walked in. And we're going to talk about that next week. So, Father, I do. We ask you, God. Here we are, God. Here we are, God. Send us. We say, God, we make ourselves available. And we ask you for a spirit of the fear of the Lord. God, that you would impart that to us. Father, we are hungry. We are hungry for all that you have. We welcome you to come in and that the word of God would begin to wreck shop in any misconceptions that we've had about the truth of who you are. So we honor you today, God. We honor you and we receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.